Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. This is episode 10, Podcast Champ. So welcome to another episode of EdTech Examine, and this is an interview with Meg Wilcox, an assistant professor at the School of Communication Studies at Mount Royal University. Welcome, Meg. Oh, thanks for having me. So uh, we want to give you, uh, we were very excited to interview you, not only because of your background in journalism and broadcasting, but also your advocacy for podcasting. And what, as a little bit of a background, the, the purpose of this podcast originally uh, between Chris and I was to get people started uh, preparing for remote teaching in kind of this pandemic scenario, and that's kind of ongoing, but also to highlight educators who are both education technology advocates and use technology or promote technology in an innovative way and in terms of podcasting and kind of the spoken word, we couldn't really think of anybody who'd probably be a better steward of it, which is why we're so excited to have you here today. So thank you very much. Um, we're just going to get started off with some questions, so I'll, I'll kick it off today, uh, and then Chris, will, my colleague, will uh, jump in as need be. We don't have a very uh, rigid structure here. So our, our first question is quite straightforward. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? So you know where you take your education, how long you've been teaching, professional background, research interests, etc. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Kamloops, BC, and after high school, I took a year on exchange, actually, Rotary Exchange. I lived in Thailand for a year, but then uh, didn't end up totally back in BC. I went back to school. I did my undergrad in communications. I worked for a little bit in communications and then uh, went back to school for a master's in journalism at Carleton. And uh, after that, basically moved across the country pretty consistently for about six years. I worked at about at least 12 different stations in different jobs across 10 different cities. And uh, I did teach sort of informally and through some of my communications work in that, but I Mount Royal is actually where I began teaching. And I've been there about five years now, two years as a full-time tenurable faculty. That's awesome. Yeah, I think you were hired at Mount Royal either around the same time I was, I don't know if it was the same year or the year before or something like that. Yeah, so that's I think really we're pretty cool. close. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I remember you doing your presentation at our, our retreat about being hired and, and your experience, which was really neat. Um, so you've been a, uh, an advocate of podcasting for some time and it makes sense because if you have that journalism background, that communications background. And so our listeners know, in fact, you you guided a session at Mount Royal's Academic Development Center called Podcasting 101. And I had been considering doing a podcast, but hadn't really pulled the trigger, so to speak, on, on getting it off the ground. So a big thank you to you for doing that session, because it kind of reduced the barrier, so to speak, in terms of what I had to overcome to get it off the ground. And it's your guidance that got Chris and I to kind of put this together. But I wanted to ask you, what originally got you into podcasting? Well, first I'll mention, uh, it's wonderful to hear that that helped you because I'd say many people have podcast ideas that they never actually step into. And uh, as you may remember from the podcast session, if you make it more than 14 episodes in which you're pretty close, you're doing better than 50% of podcasts out there. So like you are already well on your way. <laughs> in terms of like, I guess my interest in podcasts, I've been interested in radio ever since I was little. And as soon as I got into journalism school, I was already pretty convinced that radio, radio is what I wanted to do. 
And it's funny because at that time I, I started my master's in 2008. Uh, podcasting was a thing, but not a big thing. And I would say the general attitude at, at my school was, well, podcasts were great because it was like this American life. You were essentially getting radio, but you were able to get it in places where you might not have been able to hear it, like in Canada, whenever you want on demand. There wasn't really a lot of talk about podcasts as a format. And most of the research that was coming out that I remember reading in my classes was about trying to compare podcast to radio and if it, if it was the same or if it wasn't, but it hadn't really fully developed yet. And so I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of cool, but this is like the blog equivalent of radio. Very quickly that changed. And while I was at the CBC in those earlier years, a lot of the podcasting we did was just repurposing radio pieces and turning them into podcasts. It was when I got to the BAMP Center. And so uh, I ended up coming back out West in 2014 to help start BAMP Center Radio, which is, is now defunct, but we had a really wonderful year before funding was cut. And uh, part of that was to look at creative and new ways of playing with audio and playing with format. And so that's where we started creating podcasts that weren't tied to radio. So just having that ability to think about audio and the way that it's presented without the constraints that radio or live radio normally takes on. So I'd say it's been about the past six or so years. And I mean, really, it was around that time, 2014, that Serial came out and everyone kind of knew what podcasting was. So I'd say that, that my work in that was sort of um, around that timeline as well. Do you think a big part of the reason why it took a while to, took off, to, to take off compared to, say, radio, uh, just building on what you said, is that part, I was going to ask you, do you think that's partly how podcasting is branded or do you think it's uh, a difference in terms of being long form versus um, pre-recorded versus live? Do you know why it took so long? Because it's been around for over 10 years or maybe even closer to 15 years for some of the tech podcasts, but it took a long time to become mainstream. Do you have a, an inkling as to why that is as a production value? I think it's partly production values, and that is rooted in radio history. I think the, um, the sad truth is that podcasting was seen as something for amateurs and people that couldn't get on the radio until radio people started to take an interest and make original content that became mainstream, right? Like Serial was produced by the team of This American Life. They had been doing radio for a very long time and were also very good at creating a compelling storyline. And I think it's created this interesting division that I wouldn't say is unlike, for example, video that we see on YouTube or whatnot, where we're starting to see mainstream media invest hugely in podcasting, but then we still have that sort of democratic side of it where anyone can make it, anyone can produce it, varying qualities. And uh, that also doesn't mean that you can't become very popular doing it as well. So in some ways, it's almost, it, it was when the two worlds melded in a way that enough people cared and enough people had the technology to be able to engage with it that I think kind of set that that next step. Well, I like your point about enough people caring. And I think that one of the questions coming up, we'll, we'll kind of come back to that. Um, I know that you've also, in, in your instruction, in your teaching, um, you've been an advocate for podcasting and, and kind of expanding you, the way that you do assignments in, in classes and around the spoken word. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about how you use podcasting in your classroom. 
Yeah. Um, one of the, well, the class that I do it most in is my podcasting class where we teach actual podcast production. So in this case, the, the medium is also what they're producing. Um, but there's so many reasons why I love using podcasts and classes. And I try to use it in, in some of my non-production classes as well. First off, they're free which is great. It's easily accessible for students, depending on whatever, you know, gear they have at this time, whether it's Android, iPhone, whatever, they can download, they can listen. There's advertising, but that's also normally a good class discussion. So I feel like it's a great open and free and accessible material. The other thing is when we think about podcasts, it's one of the most intimate mediums in terms of how people share information and how we can process information. And I think that if we're looking for materials that have great connection and individual story, podcasting is always going to be the best way to share that. And it's funny, even in a classroom, if you think about how you share a video and everyone engages with it versus turning on audio and seeing how your students respond, many of them will close their eyes, which is great. That means they're no longer looking at their phones or doing other things, right? Um, Whereas Marshall McLuhan, right, talks about the tribalism of television and we all watch and engage at the same time. Podcasting and radio is totally individual and it's in your head. You can be five people in a car listening to the same radio show and you are all going to experience it differently uh, and personally. And if we think about podcasting as a format, like we're all wearing headphones right now, our voices are literally in each other's ears. That's about as close as it gets. And so I find that if I'm wanting to bring in stories let's say stories about indigenous people, stories about black lives, stories that come from a personal experiential way. I think that students can engage with it more fully as audio. And so there are a few pieces that I aim to bring into my classes every year because I think it can give them that personal perspective and lead to really interesting discussion without all the distractions of video or trying to translate things through text. And you get to hear these people tell their stories in their own voice. And that's really important, but also really powerful. It's interesting that you talk about the ability to engage because I'm, I remember reading some interesting commentary and research about the advent of, of television news. And at that time, in particularly in the United States, when it was, I think the, the first broadcast presidential debate was between uh, Nixon and Kennedy. And people's interpretation of the debate was very different depending if they listened to it on radio versus television. And, and of course, television news has dominated, I would say, for so long. Do you think we're headed back kind of into it, back to a radio type thing, or do you think it's something different altogether? I think it depends the demographic and how you consume your news. CBC radio numbers totally outshoot CBC television across the country. And uh, in many cases, we do see that radio listenership has always stayed pretty great. That may be changing now that commuting patterns are changing with COVID. Um, but television news, especially in the format it exists, has definitely been shrinking across the board. And I, I think part of it is an outdated format, to be honest. I don't think it resonates with people. And I think that now that we have the ability to gather news from so many different places, we don't necessarily want someone to tell us a story in a tight little two-minute package that kind of glosses over the details. We want to be able to pick and choose what we watch and be able to go more in depth when we want to. 
Oh, that's a really interesting insight. And I, I appreciate you letting me expand on that question because it's something that Chris and I, and we'll come, I have a question for you in a, in a bit. So we'll kind of come back to that. But uh, Chris, did you, did you want to take the next one? Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, Meg, uh, we wanted to congratulate you. Uh, you've recently received a, a Canadian Foundation for Innovation grant to develop a podcast hub at Mount Royal University here in Calgary. Uh, if you could give us some background on this project. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the podcast hub is kind of two things. It's a physical space. So we're actually wanting to create a podcasting studio. And I know some people will say, well, how is a podcast studio different than say the radio studios that already exist in broadcast? And part of it is that, uh, as you may have figured out as you're recording your podcast, uh, you don't have a technician doing the work for you, right? So a traditional radio studio actually has a separate booth where a technician goes on the other side and you talk through the mic, uh, through your headphones and you do everything that way. The radio host doesn't do anything in terms of running the boards, generally speaking. And so in this case, we want to have a space where someone can be the host and the facilitator and run the technology all at the same time and be in a friendly, you know, comfortable, great acoustic space that would allow for up to about six different people to be interviewed. And so this is a way that we can play with different formats, bigger panel discussions or circles, story circles, or just straight up interviews. There's also going to be a space for doing uh, voicing if you're doing documentary work and you're working on your, your script and stuff like that. So there's the physical space. Um, there'll be some editing suites, of course. And But the other thing that we want to do with the hub is create basically a space where researchers and other podcasters and other community members can seek out expertise and come for having really great conversations about podcasting, not just podcasts they like, but how to produce podcasts, how to do them effectively, how to tell stories in new and interesting and authentic ways. And I think what this really comes down to for me is what I love about podcasting is how it can really break down the hierarchies of traditional and legacy media. One of the conversations that we're seeing a lot these days is about who gets to speak, how, and when. And I think that while on one hand, podcasting does allow everyone to be able to produce and tell their stories, as we know, having a microphone and a computer isn't enough to get your story out there. So this is an opportunity to connect communities, especially underrepresented communities. And I, I mean this in the broad spectrum, uh, but who's not in the news, who's not getting to tell their story in the news, and maybe what are some ways that we can help them tell their story more authentically. And podcasting, the beauty of it is, is there is no real structure or form. It's still pretty new. We're still figuring it out. And so there's a lot of leeway, I think, to figure out about those different ways, I guess we could say, those, those bottlenecks that are keeping people from communicating their story, communicating with their communities and sharing beyond and finding out how we can work with these groups and, and share our understanding of storytelling and, you know, the technical skills and all of that to, to help these groups take their stories to another level. So Meg, when is this podcast hub going to take the, be launched then? Well, we're still figuring that one out because the grant covers part of our money, but we still have to raise matching funds to be able to start construction of the hub. So the goal is to have it starting construction this coming academic year, but we are still looking for either individuals or organizations or groups that are interested in uh, funding. And if anyone is interested or knows someone who'd love to be part of this initiative, uh, they can reach out through MRU's foundation or they can also send me an email. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I I like how you're also saying, uh, you know, this is uh, kind of uh, broken down some of the barriers. Um, and uh, even in general, it, it seems like uh, there's a bit of a revolution you can see uh, when it comes to both video and audio that now anybody, the technology is in the palm of our hands and we can basically get access to it. And so, and this kind of leads into our, our next uh, discussion point, but a recurring theme on the podcast has been the democratization of the spoken word. and. Uh, some academics have referred to this revolution as the Gutenberg-esque in its scale, insofar as the, that the spoken word allows people to learn while doing mundane tasks of everyday life, from driving, cooking, cleaning. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think, hmm. I I mean, in many ways, I would agree. I, I think that it is changing how we can access information, the types of people that we can hear from, and as they share their, I guess we could say their wisdom, their experience, their knowledge. I think on the other hand, there's an interesting element about podcasting where people assume that it's like unmediated access and unfettered access to knowledge. And that's not necessarily the case either. And something that I mentioned a little bit earlier is that we start seeing some really big players now in podcasting. They see the influence, they see the potential money-making opportunities there. And I think, for example, of Spotify buying Gimlet, and we start seeing you know these shows on Spotify that are Spotify only, whether that's Joe Rogan, whether that's Michelle Obama, whether that's Amy Schumer. And then on the other hand, we look at something like Stitcher, which was just bought this past summer by Sirius FM, and that was more than $325 million, I believe. It was the biggest purchase in podcasting history so far. And uh, what's interesting there is that Stitcher already has deals and agreements with Marvel, for example. They were doing podcasts for different Marvel characters like Wolverine. So there's definitely a lot of money going into this uh, and how it's going to be produced and not saying that it still can't be democratic as long as these systems are open, but we are starting to see the closing of these systems as, uh, as different groups are trying to control audiences and where they're listening. It's interesting. It's kind of an ironic state of affairs because uh, Apple, which I would consider not uh, an open company by standard, yet has, ironically, the largest open directory for podcasts so far because it hasn't monetized it and it's mm -hmm. it's just an RSS directory. Um, do you suspect that companies like Apple will start to close it off? I mean, I guess the, the question Chris and I have had back and forth is that is is the the splintering of podcasting. You have to use a certain app to get certain podcasts going to be the, no, the norm kind of like streaming television. Or do you think the, the, the majority will remain as direct RSS? I think, again, if we start to think about maybe the splintering of mainstream or major production podcasts by big companies and those that are independently produced, we may start to see a shift in that way. Sort of like how, you know, I don't just have a Netflix account. I have a Prime account. My boyfriend has Disney Plus, right? Uh, I could see it going that way. It also depends though if people are willing to pay and arguably by using a certain system, that's sort of how you're paying with your ears in terms of how you're listening to ads, right? But I guess the question is, will the audience come along with it? And if it does, then they'll probably continue going that way. If there is pushback, if they find that people aren't listening, then maybe it, it will no be a short, short-lived experiment. Yeah, it's an, it's an, it'll be an interesting uh, couple of years, so to speak. I wanted to ask you a, a little bit about 
um, your thoughts on some of the more successful podcasts. And you mentioned Joe Rogan. That's probably one of the, the largest in terms of interview style. Another one that comes to mind, you may, well, you also mentioned Serial. This Week in Tech, I think, has celebrated its 15th year as one of the largest tech podcasts. That's another. But one of the things that these have in common is that they're long, very, very long form. And so do you think that long form podcasting might be starting to challenge our assumptions about human attention span and maybe more broadly, human appetite for in-depth conversation. And, and I say that contrasting it to say, you know, the, the, the average, say 20, 20 minute plus commercial breaks, say television shows that people have been accustomed to over time. Do you think that that long form and the popularity of long form is starting to challenge that what we think about people's attention span and their interest in nuanced, deep, long conversation? I think that generally speaking, we are seeing an interest in long form, and that's not just in audio, though it's a great example. I'm thinking long form essays, in-depth reporting. People are not necessarily looking for the, the quick clips, or if they do, they want to be able to go and find more information later. I, I will point out that there are so many successful podcasts that are shorter, right? Whether it's 99% Invisible in the 20-minute area, or even um, Nate DeMeo's The Memory Palace. Some of those are two minutes long, and heck, he got a podcasting gig at the Met for a while. <laughs> so... There is a variation there. I think at the end of the day, people know what they like, right? And whether it's Joe Rogan's interview style or his celebrity, or whether it's, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, I think of in sort of a comparable, like, you know, deep dive interview way, uh, people will seek out either the celebrities they want to hear from or the in-depth conversations that suit them. And the, the truth is, if it's an interview they don't like, it doesn't matter if it's short or long, they're probably going to turn it off, which is also the beauty of podcasting and also the pain for those who produce it is how do you keep people listening? Yeah, and it's interesting that you, you split up the difference in podcasting between kind of an interview and what Chris and I have called the variety show format, right? Because so I was, we, we were recently talking about the podcasts that we listen to most consistently. And I, I said, yeah, I have a lot of long form interviews, but I'm more likely to selectively choose which ones I listen to because I may not want to hear about an MMA fighter this week. But a variety much more like radio that's long form i'm more likely to listen to consistently perhaps because there's more likely to be something in it for everybody yeah and those segments are short right like you can give them five minutes of your time and learn about something new but if you already know you're uncertain about it and you're about to go into a deep deep dive you know 45 minute 50 minute interview with an mma fighter you've never heard of probably less interested right and so again it comes to the ability for people to to pick and choose and consume as they want uh, which can be great if you're you know following what you want but then we start thinking about for example as you said you're more likely to listen to a variety show if there's smaller pieces well you'll actually you're expanding your knowledge when you listen to a variety show you'll you probably would have listened and learned about that mma fighter and when we start thinking about cultural touch points and cultural connections around individuals, that's where things start to separate when we start seeing, um, you know, compared to 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when everyone watched the same TV news at the end of the day, they sort of had the same understanding of what was going on in the world and what was happening. Now, am I saying that was, they were better informed at that time? Not at all. Uh, but I do find it interesting now that uh, we can have very different diverging views on things and what's important in the world, depending on what we consume and how we consume. 
Yeah, and it's kind of cool that you can go and again, like you mentioned, you can pick and choose. You can, you know, you have a lot more control. Whereas if it's radio, you have to sit through the commercials. And I don't know about you, but typically what I would do is when once a commercial comes on, I'll switch to another radio station that I have. Um, you know, and it's funny, like uh, about four years ago, I was judging a case competition at um, the UFC. It was uh, for the Canadian uh, Center for Advanced Leadership. And one of the topics was actually um, that uh, one of the teams actually proposed was uh, podcasts as an option. And at the time, I thought, you know, podcasting, like whatever is out there, it, it hasn't it been done. It's uh, it's almost like with books, it hasn't everything kind of been written about. But um, I mean, well, one of the things now I'm kind of uh, questioning and I mean, here I am like four years later, I've actually gone <laughs> and started up a podcast. <laughs> and, um, you know, I wonder if uh, do you think that podcasting is at, at its peak or are we just getting started now? I don't think it's at its peak, but I also think that it's going to change quite a bit over the next while. As I mentioned, I think the rising influence of these major companies putting in money and those who are sort of producing on their own DIY on a budget or, or smaller startups uh, are going to two very different categories. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you think about what you consume on YouTube, it is literally kids unboxing toys and giving their reviews. And somehow some of them are making millions. Uh, but then we also have like the really nice, carefully produced stuff and the television shows that share their stuff on YouTube too. So I think uh, there will be an evolution of the medium. And I think that uh, it will allow for more selection within it. I, I think what's also kind of interesting when it comes down to podcast at the end of the day and whether or not the term will stick is it what truly is a podcast necessarily? I talk to my students and many of them think that podcasts are videos because podcasts are on YouTube, right? Many of them are. And it's one of the main ways for, I guess, Gen Y to discover music, which still kind of blows my mind that they will listen to music on YouTube. I was like, why don't you listen my to sister does music that. service? And she's 40. Yeah, there we go. She's just like ahead of her time then. <laughs> but I found uh, that, yeah, so in terms of how people are, are consuming their media, the media, and we think about live streams, are those podcasts? Well, sort of, maybe not. I would normally say something that's pre-recorded, And if we define it by technology, it's something that you can access as audio whenever you want right? It has to be available for you to stream and da or download at your leisure. So arguably like a live event would not be the podcast, but if you put it on afterwards and it was downloadable, it would be. But we use all these terms interchangeably. And as we have these devices that are both video and audio and mix them all, and we experience things across multi-platforms, I, I wonder if the term podcast is going to stick around uh, or if, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be as charming as like the rotary phone. Huh? Oh, that was funny. I like what you mentioned about branding uh, and will the term turn around because it's so tied to the iPod, which is now way on its way out, even though they still make one. I know that Leo Laporte on This Week in Tech for 10 years tried to turn the tide to call it Netcast to be a little bit more inclusive. And then they finally just gave up this year and started using the term podcasting. But it would be <laughs> interesting to know. I think you make a great point. What What is a better term because it, like you said the, the medium has grown so much that the, it's outgrown its definition yeah and i mean when this was all out and available and the sort of informality of podcast came out you know 
I mean, I don't think Apple was imagining any of this either, right? It's, uh, if anything, it was a colloquialism that came in. And maybe as technology changes, uh, the name might change as well, right? I, I think, I mean, I guess the equivalent would be, uh, I'm thinking tape decks, right? Like VCR, beta, those types of things, what ends up winning out. And who knows, it may just be a holdover. And in the future, we'll be watching and listening to everything on hologram glasses, right? But uh, we'll have to wait and see. I know for sure. And I, I think in many ways, uh, uh, how you're describing even with um, like for ourselves, we've been we just haven't had time, but getting all our episodes put onto YouTube because there is uh, an audience out there. I don't personally, I don't understand it. And maybe I'm a little bit now, even though I'm not that old, but uh, maybe I'm getting like a little bit old fashioned and I don't see the point of streaming uh, large amounts of data, you know, especially if I'm not watching the video. Right. And uh, maybe that's part of it as well as that our accessibility to high speed internet access. But um, in any event, uh, I mean, some of the things getting back to the teaching side, um, are are there any sp specific ed tech tools that you rely on for teaching? And um, is there anything that you'd like to highlight for educators that are new to online learning? Funnily enough, as much as I teach technology, I constantly work to use the simplest methods possible. <laughs> and part of it is just to make things easier for students and to make things easier for me. Even this semester, as I'm recording my lectures, uh, my video lectures, the asynchronous stuff, uh, I was doing it with a colleague and we did it over Google Meet. We decided, hey, let's set this up like a phone call. I can present the screen. We can collaborate on documents at the same time and just converse about things instead of trying to stare at a screen and act like a professor and, and make a lecture happen on a video. It was too tricky. So I always go for the simplest thing possible. Um, in terms of resources for audio production, I really love transom.org. And that's a website that's partly, um, I, I guess, partly with uh, NPR and PRX. And it it's aimed at both novice and professional audio producers. And it covers issues related to journalism, but also just like, hey, here's us testing out five different microphones or the best way to record a phone conversation now that we're doing distance interviewing again. And uh, it also talks about structure if you're wanting to delve into, say, documentary or other formats. I find that it, it's a really great resource for that. I'm trying to think of other tech. Huh. Yeah, I mean, like there's all this sort of the proprietary stuff that we end up using in teaching through our school, right? Like whether it's the Adobe Cloud or things like that. But I would never actually say that that's necessary. Arguably, if I was giving the advice to someone to try uh, doing a podcast, I'd say start with your iPhone, talk into it for your voicing and try Audacity, like use some free things. And then as you like it, you know, step it up, figure it out. And, and go from there because uh, you can spend a lot of money on gear that you won't end up using. Yeah, no, it's interesting too, like how you mentioned about just recording yourself on Google Meet. And I've, uh, the, I think it was last week, I, there was somebody that was telling me, uh, like at UFC, we're using Zoom. And so what they decided to do was have a Zoom call with themselves and just record it and, you know, shared their screen and, and just recorded that and uh, they're sharing that with their students. So, I mean, there's always ways, I guess, uh, unforeseen or unintended kind of ways that we're using the tech just uh, to, and uh, if you think about it, again, Zoom was not intended for 
classroom instruction or lecturing, right? Not at all. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, personally, actually, and having used both for from an education standpoint, it's it's funny. I always have problems with Google Meet. There's usually one thing that screws up. It's either my mic or my webcam. And um, whereas I think because it's probably due to the fact that it's built on a web platform and you're accessing it, you know, through a browser. So, um, uh, you know, earlier we, before we started doing this interview, you were also talking about like how you're marking and you got an iPod, a pad, but, uh, so, uh, you know, maybe you want to tell us a little bit about just hardware and other things that you might be using. Yeah. Within the past year, I have started using an iPad in the classroom and part of it is, uh, just to take digital notes. And I found that it's the best way for giving feedback to students. And I do some of my marking that way because I could just download the PDF. For example, if I have a template, I'm doing a student presentation, I can take all my notes and then I can come back to it later, finalize the grade and just email it to students directly from there. So the ability to get rid of paper, on one hand, I, I like using paper. Uh, there's a lot of things I still write physically on paper for, but I find that anything that I'm sharing with students, if I can have a digital backup is super helpful. And at the same time, I don't want to be typing on a keyboard. The fact that I, I have my little Apple pencil and I can write and I can add smiley faces and I can draw arrows to where I want things to be corrected, I, I find is helpful. And in some ways, I think the students prefer seeing that kind of feedback in terms of editing as well, because, you know, I can actually, instead of highlighting something like in word track changes and leave a comment, I can actually just like put an arrow in and be like, fix this right here. You can be a little bit more specific and a little quicker and there's fun colors, you know, which is like an extra win. I have a question about that, Meg. Uh, and actually in our last episode, we did kind of a deep dive onto note-taking apps because we thought it would be valuable to both faculty but also students because I've seen a number of students mm -hmm. go into that digital writing medium which I like because of the research around writing and its attachment to memory so you kind of get the best of both worlds. I know that there's you can do that kind of with PDFs you can do that built into the iPad. Is there any particular apps that you prefer for that that note-taking or say highlighting on a PDF? Yeah, I've been using Notability. Uh, I don't have many others to compare with it. I, I sort of heard from a few people that they liked it. And so I've been trying that out specifically. And it's nice to have it all in, in one place. And the ability to sort of classify all my documents, I'm sure all the other ones do this too, um, just, you know, to different classes or, um, you know, for example, research papers to be read, ones I've annotated, ones that I may or may not get to at some point, right? I can sort of organize those things that way too. So that's how I've been doing my annotation. Um, the only thing that I think is missing is figuring out like arguably then I need kind of a database to like put the articles and decide where I'm going to put things to find or search things and look for it later. So that is still something that I'm, I'm working on, on solving. And I've seen a few people use other, other tech, like everyone I speak to has a system that makes sense. I just haven't fully implemented it yet, I guess at this point. But I also think that's like the constant academic challenge is, you know, how do we keep track of everything we've read in a way that isn't going to be too time consuming, but actually be helpful when the time comes that, that you need that information again. It's like processing it. Well, that is super helpful feedback, the idea of tagging and making kind of your own uh, archive, so to speak. So that is very helpful. So maybe that's something that Chris and I will have to look into uh, for a future tech tip. So that's, that's a great point. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I never thought of that. But I, I also agree. Notability is also my writing uh, note of choice. I have tried pretty much all of them. So I think that probably is the best one. Sweet. I'm glad I'm on the right track. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, sometimes it's quite often like you do something digitally and then, you know, you forget about it. 
right? And so I think that's where, I don't know, I have a, a fusion of both uh, handwritten notes as well as like digital. And then at least that way, there is a little bit of searchability. But, you know, even Eric and I, we were talking about it um, where you should probably number the pages in your notebook and then maybe find a way to digitize that and have like an index uh, where you can go and refer back to even for your book and stuff. Um, I mean, one thing that I've uh, getting ready and gearing up for the fall, um, one thing that I've never done before was uh, listen to audiobooks and uh, it's been kind of, uh, you know, how we talked about earlier, like I, I've been doing it while working out, um, walking, cleaning, and I'm surprised I'm almost done a book that I had to go and read anyways for the semester, but just by listening. And there's a bit of intimacy that's there because the author is actually reading it, which is very cool. Um, have you thought about like with like you mentioned, you were recording these Google Meet um, kind of uh, lectures about taking those and maybe making them into podcasts for your students just to listen to? I, I do podcasts in my podcasting class, or I actually did while well, we had that quick pivot during COVID last semester. So I hit a point where I was like, we still have a couple more lectures to do. Why would I not make a podcast? So I took my lecture content, turned it into a podcast uh, and recorded it at home and also used it as an opportunity to fully share how I put it together because we do talk about editing and, you know, information organization and file organization. So I, I did a video showing how I set up a nice recording space in my house, in the closet, you know, with the blankets and pillows around. And then I also just made all of the raw files and editing file available for download for my students. If they wanted to actually open up the file in audition, which is how we edit and actually see how I put the entire thing together. And I mean, if they wanted to remix me, they couldn't have, or they could have bless their hearts. They did not. Um, then on top of that, I took the opportunity to just do some, I guess, like sped up videos showing my editing process. So if they just wanted to see how I edited, you know, the entire episode, you know, half an hour condensed into, into a couple of minutes, they could actually see how the whole thing came together. So I, I have done it for my podcasting class. I would consider it for my other lectures if there wasn't a specific handout or something that was required visually to connect students to it. Because otherwise then I think it'd be hard to reference, you know, please go to this folder, to this page, to this section. And we're going to read over this right now, because as you said, uh, most people listen to things while going to the gym or walking their dog or doing the dishes. It's half the, the fun you can do. Right. So in that case, I think if you could have something that was entirely complete, that didn't require any references or that you could say everything's explained here, but if you need written references, if you're a visual learner, you can go to these later. Then I think that podcasts or audiobooks make total sense. And I agree. I, there are many authors, especially if there's any uh, comedians, I have no interest in reading their book because I would rather have them tell me the jokes like bossy pants. I didn't even consider the book. I was like, I want Liz Lemon, well, Tina Fey to do all these voices and explain it as is. I love your uh, your point about having certain people. It it just makes sense to have them read it to you rather than to have it read it manually. And, and Bossy Pants is a perfect example of that. And I also like how you talked a bit about the ancillary material. I had not considered the completeness of that. I recently just finished listening to an audiobook about international economics, and it's hard to understand the things like the Phillips curve when you can't see it. You assume it bends, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm assuming there's a curve in the graph. I know what a graph is, but it's very difficult. 
Um, we're going to move on to another our last section here, but before we do, is there anything or anyone that you'd like to plug or give a shout out to our listeners? Uh, so this could be, we leave this open-ended, but if there's a particular initiative, uh, if there's a particular, you know, sometimes it's a cause or if there's a particular person or project that you'd like listeners to go to, we're happy to advertise that and also put it in the show notes. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, I think what I'll plug is, so I've been working with Calgary Public Library to be doing essentially a book club, but about podcasts. It's called Pod Chats. And so uh, we did a pilot in the spring and I facilitated it. But this coming year in this semester, uh, we're going to have a whole bunch of different guest speakers coming in and sharing their knowledge and their understanding of podcasting. And so the next one coming up is Gwendolyn Richards. And if you're in Calgary, you may know that she was a longtime crime reporter for the Herald. She's going to be talking about what it's like to be a crime reporter and what you can tell and what you can't versus how many people who may not be crime reporters or experts are talking about true crime and telling true crime stories and podcasts. I know uh, Josiah Sinan is going to be coming up after and he hosts the Anti-Culture podcast here in Calgary that I really enjoy. And uh, I, we have some other great people coming up. So everything, like all the programming is free. You can register at the Calgary Public Library website as long as you have a, an account, which is also free. And uh, those two individuals in particular, the work that they're doing is worth checking out, especially uh, Josiah's podcast. Oh, that is so cool. And I'm a huge supporter of the public library system. So I'm <laughs> absolutely going to look at this as, as soon as we're done recording. Thank you for plugging that. That's a really cool initiative. Thank you. You know, one little side thing um, uh, I was just thinking about. The, Eric sent me maybe um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a month ago. There was this one uh, professor down in the U.S. And what he's doing is he's doing these lengthy kind of like audio recordings where he's even reading the book for his students. What do you think about that? As long as he's interesting and people want to listen, and maybe there's another way of, of accessing the information if that doesn't work for you, I'm all for it. I'm constantly surprised at what people will spend time listening to, you know? And I mean that in a good way, but, you know, when we think about, say, hardcore history, like, there are people who will happily listen to four-hour podcasts diving into these, you know, extreme details of American history. And I was like, you know what? All the power to you, my friend. I don't know if I'll make it that far on that one. But that's what's so cool about this medium is you don't have to like everything that's out there. You just need to find your thing. And generally, what makes a person good at podcasting they're passionate about it. And, you know, you can find your niche, you can get as weird as you want and find other people who are there for it as well. And uh, to be honest, I would actually probably take a listen at this guy's stuff. Uh, if you can send me the link, I'd love to check it out. <laughs> sure. That's a great idea. It comes down to the person a lot of the time, doesn't it? Even lately, uh, what I've been doing, there's this one podcast that I've listened to, and they've gone to two times a week. And I think two times is maybe too much. Uh, and a lot of the stuff is like the same information. So now I've even been doing it where I just increase the speed just to get through um, it. The big debate in the podcasting world, are you ruining the artistry by listening to it at double speed? There are some who will say yes and others that'll say, hey, as long as they're listening. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I think we're going to move on to our rapid fire questions section. So for our listeners who, who are not aware of this, these are extremely lighthearted uh, yes or no and or questions that our audience 
or sorry, that our guests have not seen beforehand or not heard beforehand. Uh, nothing political, nothing controversial, just personal preference questions about uh, everyday stuff. And we've included as, as many humorous questions as possible. So, Meg, are you ready for the rapid fire questions section? I'm girding my loins. That's, that's the best response I've had to that so far. <laughs> that's fantastic. Okay, question one, Mac or PC? I have a Mac, but I don't know if my next computer will be a Mac. Sorry, that's probably a longer answer than you wanted. That's a good one. <laughs> Suspense is good. iPhone or Android? Again, I have an iPhone. I like my iPhone. I think I'd stick with it. Standing or sitting desk? I have a standing desk at the university that I miss so much. So standing desk. <laughs> Ebook or paper? Paper, for sure. Synchronous, asynchronous, or hybrid teaching? I'm going hybrid teaching. I'm sure some of my students would love asynchronous, but I think hybrid is what we need at the end of the day. Cable or streaming? Streaming. I gave up cable a long, long time ago. And if so, if streaming is your first choice, Apple TV, Crave, Disney, HBO, Hulu, Netflix, Prime Video, etc., which is your favorite? <laughs> well, right now it would have to be Crave because Canada's Drag Race is coming out weekly. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Web browser of choice Chrome. Mostly just because we kind of have to for work. I don't know if I'm, a, I'm an evangelist on that one. Google Meet, Skype, Zoom, or other? Well, we were talking a little bit before the show. I really love Zencaster. Not that it's really for, for meetings. Uh, probably Zoom. Just if anything, the really sweet backgrounds. Mr. Rogers or Mr. Dress Up? <gasps> that one's tough. I'm going Mr. Dress Up because I have to, you know, like a good part of my heart is with the Mother Corp, having worked at the CBC for so many years. <laughs> I like that. Coffee or tea? Both coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. I can sympathize with that. That's how I work too. <laughs> okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm better with Star Wars. I'm not against Star Trek, but I just have so much more to learn. Batman or Superman? I guess it depends what version. Like Val Kilmer's Batman over Brendan North's Superman, probably. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> DC or Marvel? Probably Marvel because he doesn't love Iron Man. That's true. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. I don't drink it often, but when I do, go for a Coke. Cats or dogs? This would be a really long answer. I thought I was a dog person, and then I moved into a place where I wasn't allowed, allowed dogs, so I started fostering cats, and then I foster failed, and now I owned, own two blind cats. Um, but I still want a dog, so it's both. I, I dream of getting a dog in the next house. Both is a perfectly acceptable answer. <laughs> okay, and this is our last one. Backstreet Boys are NSYNC. Backstreet Boys, no question. Don't get me wrong. If we start looking at Justin Timberlake and his solo career, we could maybe make a shift there. But Backstreet Boys basically laid the groundwork for NSYNC. So that's that's a, an obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's all we have for the rapid fire questions. I heard they weren't they weren't too nerve wracking. 
No, no, not at all. I mean, I didn't realize I had such a strong opinion on Backstreet Boys, but maybe it's good that I now know. That could be our new tag for uh, rapid fire, understanding yourself questions, perhaps. (laughs) Meg, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview on EdTech Examined. Uh, I learned so much from you doing that podcasting session at MRU. I love the work that you do. I'm so excited for the innovation grant that you've received. I think you're an awesome steward and champion of the medium. And I know Chris and I are just thrilled to be able to talk to you about this. Oh, thank you so much. It was so lovely to be on your show. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTechExamined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time. And I'm Chris Hong, the audio producer for EdTechExamined. You can get in touch with me and contact me through all of my social media at my website, which is chrishong.ca. That's C-H-R-I-S-H-O-A-N-G dot C-A.